welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part two in the series, The Armour of God. This is the morning session of Sunday, the 26th of July, 2009, and the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Here's Pastor Russ Iveson. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm thankful for the privilege to be here. I appreciate your prayers for my better half. Uh, She does still have uh, a drain and the one incision, and uh, it's trying to make up for lost time. And, uh, but uh, they put her on an antibiotic uh, yesterday because the, even though there are no signs of infection in any of the ways that they're checking for it. She does have a a slight fever, and the doctor uh, feels certain that that she's uh, uh, trying to reject the uh, mesh that they had to put in the surgery and trusts that the uh, antibiotic will, uh, will sort that. So we appreciate your prayers on our behalf. And uh, I know my daughter does because she, uh, so far, uh, the Lord's answered prayer, she survived my cooking. And uh, so she's here this morning smiling. We are in Ephesians chapter 6. Father, how we thank you for your word. Father, thank you that we can have a personal living relationship with the author who is able to guide us into all truth. Father, we pray that you would lead, guide, and direct this morning and that only Christ would be exalted, honored, and glorified. In his name we do pray. Amen. Picking up in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, uh, I'm having a bit of a problem this morning with the... uh, well, lenses, I think they need to be telephoto. But uh, anyway, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the uh, darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We pick up in verse 12, where that he says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we uh, said previously back in verse 10 that we were 
uh, commanded to be uh, miraculously enabled, miraculously empowered and strengthened by the Lord. And uh, in the uh, uh, presence of uh, his vigor and might and power and strength and his actual inherent ability uh, and might and power and strength, and that all is his. It's not in the strength of our flesh. It's his that we uh, are able to function, and it's there for us. In verse 11, we are commanded to sink into the garment of his armor, uh, which uh, miraculously enables us to continually stand, to abide, to continue against the methods, the trickery, the wiles, the lying in wait of, of the devil, the slanderer, the false accuser. Now we come to the reason for the command. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oti ogestin imin i pale pros aima kai sarka. Oti is the causal conjunction. And uh, uh, it sets out a reason for what has been previously said. And uh, uh, what follows are, and it, it, we normally can read Oti as for that or for or because or since or seeing that. And, uh, but what follows the conjunction is a most emphatic statement. Oak is the adverb of absolute negation, emphatically before the verb, uh, not. Esteen is the uh, verb of being. It's a contemporaneous action of the verb of being. Uh, not is, and emin is the uh, indirect object of the, uh, uh, it's the plural first person personal pronoun, uh, to us. Not uh, is to us. And uh, a pale is the nominative singular feminine article and noun, the wrestling, the struggle, the contest. Uh, pale comes from palo. Uh, some say it's the verb to, uh, to vibrate. Uh, A.T. Robertson and others say it's the verb to throw or to swing. Uh, the important thing here is that uh, it is to be seen as... Uh, this is the only use of pale in the New Testament, but it's talking about a hand-to-hand -hand situation, an individual struggle hand-to-hand. -hand. It requires uh, not only strength and uh, agility and speed. You know, in the athletic games, wrestling was merely a sport. We're not sporting around. In a military use, it's individual against individual in mortal combat. We're fighting for our lives. And such a relationship, such a combat involves trickery, it involves feints, it involves uh, 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 movements intended to mislead, to get the advantage it's a life and a death struggle we're involved in. We're not playing games. Literally, our text would read, because not is to us the wrestling 
against blood and flesh. Prose is the preposition to or unto or toward. It speaks of a face-to-face relationship. And we see it here meaning against. Aima is the accusative singular noun, blood. The usual way that we read this part is uh, we have it is as we have it in our English Bible, uh, flesh and blood. But in our text, in this particular case, this is the only instance that I can find in our New Testament that it is actually uh, in the Greek text, blood and flesh. I as the conjunction and sarka, the accusative singular feminine noun flesh. Many pass it off. Uh, Skevington Wood wonders if it is intended to point to a conflict with, with Gnostic doctrine. And he may well be on solid ground there because they're the ones who took the blood out of 1 John chapter 5. Linsky wonders if it points to some sort of a moral contrast in nature between man and God. Personally, it's my opinion, actually it's my conviction, I want to take you back to what God says in Leviticus 17. Leviticus 17 and uh, verse 11 Moses records, therefore, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. And uh, uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And when we do not have in our bodies sufficient blood to carry the oxygen to the cells and to carry off the waste, we die. Uh, We bleed to death or we get into toxemia that brings death. Man sinned in his physical body. He disobeyed. Then Cain compounded it with the first human murder. Christ came to die in the flesh to redeem fallen man. Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that he took upon uh, him our nature. And we see in Hebrews chapter 2, picking up in verse 14, he says, Here for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abram. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And uh, But saying that, I would consider as well what we read in Hebrews chapter 12, where that Paul said, and picking up verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight on the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. We are engaged in a warfare. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And we do not see at present the great body of witnesses, both angelic as well as the saints who have preceded us. Might I observe that the besetting sin of present-day saints, that in very many respects opens the door to every other sin that we see. Uh, we see it's laid out in verse 3 in here in Hebrews 12 is discouragement. Discouragement. And to defeat that discouragement, we are commanded to be continually staring, if you please, at Christ. How long do we keep it up? Paul says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Striving there is antagonizomenoi, wrestling, struggling against, striving, agonizing. It comes from agonizomai to struggle, to contend with an adversary, to wrestle, to fight, to strive, to labor. In our text, Paul put the blood before the flesh. He did so to tell us we're not playing games here. It's a serious business. We're engaged in a life and death struggle. And Christ, who we are to be staring at, who is our example, who is our Savior, it is our intercessor. He did not quit. He shed every drop of his blood to buy our pardon. We have no permission to quit. How far do we go? Look with me, please, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. Wrestling against the opponent. Luke records, and Christ is in the garden, the night in which he was betrayed. He's already instituted the Lord's table following the Passover in the upper room. Judas has gone off to do his deed. They sang a hymn. They came out to the garden. Christ asked his disciples to pray while he went off privately to pray. And Luke chapter 22, verse 44, we read, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
And medical science tells us that we can come to such a point of stress that the capillaries in our flesh will actually open and weep the blood. But Paul goes on to elaborate in Hebrews chapter 5, picking up in verse 7, and he says there, who in the days of his flesh when he'd offered up prayer and supplication with strong crying and tears unto them, him that was able to save him from death, he was heard and that he feared. Though he were son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. John records in chapter 18 and verse 4. John chapter 18 and verse 4. Jesus therefore knowing all things that should come upon him went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? You know, years ago, there was an opera that was penned. Jesus Christ, superstar. It opened the door to a host of such things. And they portrayed my Savior as someone who didn't know what he was on about. Someone who was deceived. Someone who was clueless and powerless and didn't have a clue. My Lord knew when he went into the garden what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to have to suffer. And in that suffering... He completed all that was needed to buy our pardon. After he prayed, after he agonized, after he bled in his praying, he went out and greeted these who came with Judas. Whom seek ye? He full well knew all that would happen to him, and he obeyed. But what about that cup that Luke records in verse 42? That cup was something else that he foreknew. He foreknew the rejection of the Father. If you read, and this is free, it's not in the notes, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All three instances of the verb was, it's in the imperfect indicative, and because it's talking about arche, the beginning, it means from eternity past. It is an eternally past continuing action. The word was with God. The preposition with is prose. Face to face. From eternity, the Father and the Son were face to face in fellowship, in oneness of purpose, 
in one accord, in agreement on all that they did. They were in fellowship. And our Lord knew what was facing him. He knew what was in that cup. He knew, as Mark tells us in chapter 15, verse 33, that for the first time and for the only time in all of eternity, they would not be face to face. In Mark 15, verse 33, And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloah, Eloah, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's in these Three hours that our sin debt was paid. It is in these three hours that our blessed, sinless, immaculate, spotless, perfect, beloved Savior bore your sin and mine. That's when it was paid for. And in Habakkuk 1.13, my Bible tells me that Jehovah Elohim is of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that is why the Father turned his back on the Son. And that is the cup that your Lord and my Lord wrestled with in the garden and submitted to drink of in obedience to the Father's will. In light of all this, you and I that name the name of Christ have no permission to quit. We, like Christ, are to stand and it goes to show the measure of the God we serve. He gave us the provision to stand and to prevail. Back in our text, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says here, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But is Allah. It's the emphatic conjunction, but. And he says, against principalities, pros, tos, archos. Again, pros is the preposition to or unto or towards. We read it here as against. Tais archos is the accusative plural feminine article and noun. It's the direct object. Archos being a commencement, a beginning. It also means a, a chief uh, in order. It means chief in time, chief in place, chief in rank. Or we can read it as principality or as authority, magistrate, power, ruler. 
And he goes on and he says, against powers, prostas exousias. Again, pros is two towards or against, tas exousios. Again, it's the direct object, the authorities. Here is legal jurisdiction. Government that is supposed to be there to protect our liberties, our rights. We're talking here about the hierarchy of demonic power, a government structure of demonic power. Power. Archos principality is used by the Septuagint in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 in four passages or four places. Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. We see it there. Uh, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood uh, me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of us, or one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And, uh, and uh, we see it there twice. It's the prince and princes. And we see it in chapter 10 of Daniel, verse 20. And he said, Then said he, Knowest thou therefore, wherefore I am come unto thee? Now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I'm going forth, lo, the prince of Grecia will come. There it is again. In Daniel, it is strongly stated that Satan had a demonic counterpart for each of the human world rulers. It's Gabriel who was talking to Daniel in chapter 10. And uh, Gabriel and Michael are fighting against these demonic hordes who are whispering in the ear of the human rulers of Persia and Greece. If you want to know why wars begin, if you want to know why there was the Holocaust, we have to look no further. What quicker way? to ensure that a whole lot of souls die lost than to have a war. What quicker way to prove the word of God a myth and a lie than to wipe out the entire Jewish race to make impossible the millennial reign of Christ in Jerusalem on David's throne? thus making God and his word and the promises of his word a lie and a myth. There is an invisible war that we do not take proper account of. There are things going on that influence our lives that we do not see with the human eye that we can only see with the eyes of the Spirit directed to the Word of God. There is a warfare that is going on. I submit to you, here's the reason why we're in the conflict we're in today. Because of demonic activity in the hearts and minds of men. Because the devil knows his days are very, very short. Paul says we are here in our text in an 
individual hand-to-hand struggle, a hand-to-hand warfare against demonic forces. You'll recall what our Lord told Peter back in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and and picking up in verse uh, 31, uh, the Lord said there, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Thankfully, the demonic forces are and were defeated at Calvary. In Colossians chapter 2, picking up verse 14, uh, Paul writes, For us there, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Or we read in the 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 3 and uh, verse 22, where that uh, Peter records there, uh, who has gone into heaven is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Their powers is doing a man. Those with miraculous power. And we see in the scriptures such for remember, you remember Jonas and Jambres that Paul tells us of that we read about in Exodus 7, 10 to 12 and uh, Exodus 8, 6 to 7 uh, who uh, imitated several of Moses' miracles that God gave him to do before Pharaoh. But God triumphed. God triumphed. The rod of Aaron swallowed up rise of Jonas and Jambres. Oh, we read about, we read about Simon, or we read about the, uh, the sorcerers like Sceva the Jew in Acts 19, who wanted the power of healing. Uh, or we read about Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Or we read about the soothsayer at Philippi, who was instrumental in starting Bible Baptist Church at Philippi in uh, Acts 16. All of these people derived their power from demonic forces. Paul talks about, he says, against the rulers of darkness of this world, prostus cosmocratiras, tau scotus, tau aunos, tau tu. Again, prose is the preposition to, unto, towards, or against. Tos cosmocratiras, the accusative plural masculine article and noun. Cosmos is the orderly arrangement. It's the world or the world system, the world order as we know it. Crateo uh, is to seize or to retain or to lay hold upon, to, to obtain or to take. This is the only time in the New Testament we see cosmocratiras which means world rulers, rulers, monarchs of the world, worldly princes. One lexicon defined it, and I quote, power paramount in the world of the unbelieving and the ungodly. Another 
gave it simply a one-word definition, Satan. In context, it could well be those demons who are assigned to accompany and to influence the lost human heads of state in our age. Tosco tears the genitive singular neuter article and noun of the darkness, of obscurity. Taos Ayunas, again the genitive singular masculine article and noun of the age, of perpetuity, of this world. How to is the demonstrative pronoun this. There is a prince of this world of darkness and sin. He has no part in Christ. Our Lord said to him in John chapter 14 and uh, verse 30. In John 14, 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Uh, but he does function. He does carry out a work. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ as the image of God should shine unto them. You know, we it's been in my lifetime. Matter of fact, it's been in the time that since the Lord called me to preach. It was in a time of great revival. But then all of a sudden, I mean, when you, when you have a, an honest, legitimate revival, the counterfeiter is going to have his time as well. And he's going to infiltrate the numbers. And so you see not only a genuine revival and people are saved and people are, are made right with God and start living right and start serving and, and God begins to work and call those to preach. And, but right alongside you've got the counterfeit imitation. But it's in my time in the ministry that the ministry has lost its credibility. used to be on the other side of the puddle anyway. If you were a preacher, people knew they could look to you. People knew they could trust you. People knew that they could call upon you. Preachers were not the butt of jokes. Preachers were not subject to open scorn and ridicule because they were men of God. But yet, one after another, began to tumble. One after another began to fall. One after another was caught up in sin and caught out in sin. And the name of Christ, as Nathan said to David, you've given rise to the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And today, Say you're a preacher. Used car salesman's got a whole lot more credibility than you do. Bank robber's got more credibility. Why? 
number one, genuine preachers didn't do what we're talking about, didn't sink into the armor. The counterfeits just added to the snowball effect. We find that our word, cosmocrator, is used in other extant Greek literature. It is used, uh, it is used uh, uh, of Satan in the Orphic hymns. It is used in various Gnostic writings as the devil. Uh, Dr. Salmon tells us it's used in the transliterated rabbinic writings uh, pertaining to the angel of death. But let me take you to a closing point. In Colossians chapter 1, pick it up in verse 12. Paul records there, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The redeemed. Here this morning, and you honestly, genuinely have been born again, and you are sealed by the spirit of promise. You've been delivered from the power of darkness, the authority, the jurisdiction of darkness. And from this authority, we were delivered into the kingdom of God's own Son, the Scripture says. If we are delivered, but we remain still in this body, we are open to attack from our adversary, our former captor. He cannot possess us because the Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We're sealed by that spirit of promise until the redemption of the purchased possession. We cannot be possessed, but we can be oppressed. And knowing our enemy for what he is, seeing him for what he is, then the question begs to be asked, why would we disobey a command to sink down into our armor that he has provided? Why do we walk around defenseless? Why do we strive to go about doing God's battle, God's warfare, in the strength of the flesh? Why do we allow the adversary, the ultimate adversary, to whisper in our ear, you got all the answers, you've read the book, you're smart, you know all this good stuff. You can do it. You can stand. You can prevail. You've read the book. You won't get caught out. You know, I learned 
Truth to tell, I learn again and again and again very frequently. I'm flesh. I don't run around in a cape and tights with a big S on my chest for super preacher. I learned that on the day the telephone rings and I've got to run off and do something before I've had my cup of coffee and a time on the Word of God, mark it down. There's going to be a big old American-sized cement block land on my big toenail, and I'm going to fall. I'll respond in the flesh, and instead of the strength of God. The devil knows that, at least in my case, my weakest point is my big toe. That's where he drops the block. Down I go. You can't be as big as me and not fall over easily. I go down. Then I remember, I forgot to put the armor on. I left it back in the office at my desk. How many of us go charging headlong into the day and we leave the armor behind? It'd be kind of like Superman running out, Clark Kent running out without his tights on. Get to the phone booth and find out you ain't got nothing there. You can't fly. We get to the phone booth, we get in the struggle, we get in the wrestling match. We don't have the armor on, we don't fly, we don't prevail, we're pinned. And more than our pride is hurt. The cause of Christ is hurt. The name of Christ is brought down. The glory of Christ is tarnished to someone that's there watching, to someone that perhaps could be reached for Christ if we had but prevailed by trusting on Him, by submitting, obeying, yielding, Warning of warfare, a warfare that has greater consequence than just to you and I. No man is an island. No man lives unto himself. No man dies unto himself. What we do in this life impacts others. It impacts others. Others are looking. If we just once take the stand and say, I'm a believer. I know Christ. I can't, I will not do this because I will not bring disrepute to my Savior. We are marked. And people are watching from then on. What will they see? What will they see in our lives? Father, Work in our hearts, work in our lives. Father, make us sensitive to the fact that we cannot fight this warfare in the flesh. 
We cannot fight this warfare in our own intellectual power, in our own physical strength, in our own moral certitude. Father, if we're going to go into a war, and we are in a war, whether we lack it or not, we must follow our great commander. We must follow the captain of the forces of the Lord. In my mind, I'm recalling Joshua, who saw the Lord at the edge of the camp, and he asked, Are you for us or against us? And the Lord revealed that he is the captain of the Lord's hosts. And Joshua fell and worshipped. Lord, might we daily fall and worship? Might we make sure that our armor is on and properly cinched and properly in place? And might we rely upon it rather than the flesh? Lord, perhaps there would be one here this morning who would say, I don't have that armor. I don't know the Lord. I've never met him. I'm not saved. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the heart of that one. Show them that it's Christ who paid the price. Show them that it's Christ who meets the needs. That it's Christ who's waiting to come alongside and give life abundantly. Father, have your will and way in each and every heart, each and every life that's represented here this morning. But we do ask it in Christ's wonderful and precious name. But he alone is worthy. Mm -hmm.